0: Welcome to wind up weekly
1: i'm matthew gone
0: and i'm katie canfield
1: and we're here to share the week's news in wine
0: this week on wind up weekly australian wine sales fall in china
1: likewise sales of henkel fraichnet the sparkling wine giant also fall
0: the Nexpo announces new wine and spirits show in new york city
1: taylor's launches first port and tonic can
0: and as ever our wine of the week So before we dive into this week's headlines, let's start out with our week in wine. And Matthew, as usual, you have been a tutor. You've been instructing WSET students. And this week's theme was fortified wines.
1: That's right. Teaching on Zoom on Saturday to diploma students about Madeira Van du Naturel and Rutherglen Muscat, which was a lot of fun. Not quite the same tasting via Zoom as in person. I'm actually going to be tasting in person in a couple of weeks, which I'm really looking forward to. But nevertheless, we all had um, these styles of wines. We were able to discuss them and taste them as well as talk about the regions in general. And I love teaching about Fortified Wine because it really tests students' knowledge um, in theory as well as in tasting and really pushes them in exciting directions. And they really enjoyed the tasting, learning about the mysterious world of Madeira as well as the kind of overlooked world of Vandu Naturel and the wonderful world of Rutherglen Muscat. So it was a very exciting experience.
0: When you shared some of these wines with us as well, and another blind tasting with our peers, and you snuck in a nearly, dare I say it, outstanding cream sherry in that lineup.
1: Tasting fortified wine is really difficult because the different levels of sweetness, acidity, and alcohol can be very challenging, which is why I really think fortified wine pushes students and tasters and people in the industry uh, much more than any other style of wine. And yes, you taste the cream sherry that tastes like sherry with lower fairly low acidity and sweetness and yet it's outstanding because it has so much richness and concentration and so it really really pushes your taste buds and your brain to really analyze the wines. One well, cream sherry
0: has never had a very good reputation in the market, um, historically speaking. So, it is uh, few and far between that you find those outstanding examples, but they do exist. So, and they will also be on exams. So, wine students out there, be aware.
1: Be aware, indeed. There is great cream sherry out there, and the wine is actually Methuselam by González Buis, and it's a. A wine which costs about $50 and has aged for about 30 years, which is quite a considerable period of time, which is also another thing I love about these wines. But that is
0: not our wine of the week. Please stay tuned through the, to the end of the episode where we do share our wine of the week. So now on with the news. <laughs> As the pod has reported in the past, late last year, China imposed tariffs on Australian wine of up to 212% as part of an ongoing trade battle between the two countries. This has had a staggering impact on Australian wine, which recent sales figures have confirmed. From December 2020 to March 2021, Exports to China fell from 325 million Australian dollars in the same period last year to 12 million Australian dollars. However, exports to other countries rose in the UK up by 23% to 710 million Australian dollars and in the USA by 5% to 628 million Australian dollars. But these sales were not enough to compensate for the drastic decline in exports to China, as overall export figures saw a fall of 4% to 2.77 billion Australian dollars. Those are a lot of Australian dollars lost.
1: Yes, I can see as you were reading that out, trying to convert this into US dollars. And maybe some of our listeners are trying to convert this into Canadian dollars, as well as um, pounds and euros. But yes, the percentages, um, perhaps more um, a guide to the different export figures for Australia. I was actually quite surprised that China wasn't as big a market as the UK or the US. So, three hundred twenty-five million Australian dollars compared to seven hundred and ten million Australian dollars for the UK and six hundred twenty-eight million Australian dollars for the US. So, China not quite as big as I thought it was. So, maybe these figures, although they're quite drastic you know, falling by so much in China. And of course, this means Australia is losing out on an important market that they were really concentrating on. But the US and the UK are clearly still very important to them. So they're not really concentrated in one direction. So they do still have different outlets for their exports.
0: Clearly, and they are capitalizing on them. I will note that the uh, Wine Australia is... Um, spearheading a huge marketing push in the USA, they've just announced and are investing lots of money in that push. So I'm sure we'll see those numbers rise here in the US.
1: Let's hope so. I just uh, signed up to the Wine Connect, their online uh, their online portal, which is all about teaching about Australian wine and getting people in the trade connected. They're really going for the virtual platform as well as the uh, uh, the in-person platform
0: yeah the discover wine australia is their kind of new educational platform that they've recently launched and there are a multitude of resources there maps great varieties whole powerpoint presentations that you can download and use as a resource to teach about australian wine
1: i haven't explored it yet hence the fact that I didn't know its name properly. But I look forward to really delving in, and I think the fact that you can explore Australian wine from the comfort of your living room or your office while drinking a glass of wine is all to be praised, and I think they're doing a really great job.
0: They are definitely a benchmark for marketing uh, when it comes to these regional trade associations. (laughs)
1: The pod has been commenting on the performance of sparkling wine during the pandemic, which saw sales fall globally in 2020, although the category has remained surprisingly resilient in the last few months. The sparkling wine giant Henkel Frischnet has released figures that showed sales of €1.195 billion at the end of 2020, which sounds a lot, but it is a decline of 7.4% in 2019. The company was hit by the pandemic and a near shutdown in sales from March to June last year, with duty-free sales, restaurant closures and the wave of COVID over Christmas and the holiday period all having an impact over the course of the year. However, the iHeartwines brand increased sales by 43% in 2020 to 31 million bottles, 25 million of them sold in the UK most likely due to customers shopping in grocery stores rather than drinking in bars and restaurants. The mianetto Prosecco brand saw a fall of 2.5% globally, but Frascianet actually saw an increase of 5.1%. The company remains confident about the future as drinkers return to bars and restaurants, and the purchases of UK retailers Slurp and Jascots gives them lots of avenues to sell wine.
0: That's right, we got to hear all about that acquisition of Slurp uh, from a good friend of ours who's now at the head of marketing for the company. And it sounds like, you know, as many had to do during the pandemic is kind of assess what's available and find new pathways for sales. And that's exactly what Henkel Freshnet did. And it appears to their benefit.
1: Yes, and I think if you're selling over 1 billion euros of wine, per year in a pandemic, you're probably in a fairly good position. And we have reported how um, sparkling wine sales have really kind of held together even in the usually difficult months of January, February, March. So I feel that even though there's a, a negative aspect to these figures, actually they're quite positive in very difficult conditions and that we'll see them back on the rise over 2021.
0: Vinexpo, New York's premier trade show, will be restructured for its 2022 version after being forced to cancel the 2021 exhibition. In 2022, there will be two shows on the 9th and 10th of March. Drinks America, a completely new show, will showcase spirits, ready-to-drink cocktails, beer, and sake from around the world, while Vinexpo America will concentrate on wine. The aim is to enable the trade to experience these different categories on their own merits before taking them to the general consumer in North America. And I should add that both of these events, VinExpo America and Drinks America, will take place in the Big Apple, New York City.
1: And Katie, how do you see events rolling out in 2021? Because I'm still very wary of actually anything happening. I mean, this has been postponed to 2022 and they're changing the nature of the events. So hopefully or possibly. Things will be very different when everything reopens and people go into trade events and tasting quite different from what we were used to before. Well,
0: I don't know how long this has been in the works, but uh, we both know that the US has been uh, quite successful in the rollout of the vaccine. And so perhaps this could have weighed in on their decision to, you know, push things into the US and, and prioritize New York City as as a hub for these events, uh, because Europe is not, it's looking a little bit grimmer in, in order to convene in large scale. And this is sort of the predicament that we're in in general. I i feel that there are two lines of thought here. We have the, the virtual world that is still going strong that we've cultivated over the last 12 months and virtual events do well. They have a wide reaching audience. And there's lots to be achieved uh, in that format. And so many companies and many organizations will continue on that front. And then on the other hand, we have the these opportunities to start hosting these in-person events. And so many people are, are anxious to, to get together, to, to taste wine physically together and talk about it. And, and so we see a real push towards these in-person events as well. So quite frankly, it just creates a lot of work for everyone, I think, in, in sort of, you know, organizing these events, hoping that they're going to take place. So I do think that uh, much of the world is looking to the U.S. as, as an example of, you know, success in, in terms of the vaccine rollout and perhaps being able to host more in-person events. But I am not always the optimist here because we do see you know some markets are shutting down opening up again and it's it's still sort of the same sort of protocol that we were enduring all of last year so time will tell
1: continuing the fortified wine theme that we mentioned at the top of the pod Taylors, an old important port producer, has announced a new ready-to-drink can of port and tonic. It's called Chip Drying Tonic and will be released later in May in the UK for pound ninety-nine a can, as well as in the US and Portugal, coming in at 5.5% ABV is a third white port and two thirds tonic with some lemon and mint mint in the mix and it's 32 grams per liter of residual sugar. It's taken two years for tailors to register the product as it cannot be called port. Instead, Taylors have created a trademark called port tonic which appears on the label and they expect to sell one million cans in 2021. It's quite a ambition, Katie. What do you think of this product? Are you looking forward to tasting it?
0: Well, given as hot it's been here in California. As you demonstrated, it was quite difficult to to get down a, a fortified wine, but if there's a little bit of tonic and a mint and lemon, then I, maybe some ice, I might be much obliged.
1: Yes, you'd certainly want to have that can chilling in the fridge before drinking it. And when I was in Porto uh, three years ago now, they were really promoting white port with tonic. It's kind of the new trend and so it doesn't actually surprise me that Taylor's has launched this can and this brand. I think it's actually a very good idea and certainly a much more preferable alternative to white claw or hard seltzer or something like that.
0: Well here's to fortified wines throughout the summer. Just add a bit of tonic, lemon
1: and mint. Anything that gets us drinking fortified wine is good for me. And now for a one of the week, Katie, which is?
0: Domain Trotoro Cancy 2019.
1: So not Quincy, Katie because I think you were influenced by the 1970s detective show and called it Quincy instead of Cancy.
0: I'm sorry, Matthew. I was not born in the 1970s. It's a little before my time. I was only influenced by the name of the town Quincy, which is right outside of Chico, which loyal listeners will know that is my hometown.
1: And is this wine from Chico or anywhere in the environments of Chico?
0: Not at all. Very far away, in fact, and they probably would also pronounce it Quincy, but it's in France, where it's Cancy.
1: And so where in France is Cancy?
0: I know this. It's right next to Sancerre, our very famed region for Sauvignon Blanc. And then there's Cancy, which is sort of lesser known, I would say. Not many people... Even in the wine trade, see it that often. Um, I was very excited to see this bottle and very excited to identify it correctly as Savignon Blanc because it did taste and smell like Savignon Blanc, although it is quite subtle.
1: Yes, although you did not identify it as Cancy itself, just as Savignon Blanc from the Loire, which I think is close enough. So Cancy is a village which is just west of Sancerre, and just a bit southwest, actually, which historically was much more important than Serre, but since the 1960s Sancerre has really kind of risen in its reputation and its importance and has kind of got left behind. Whenever I've gone to the Loire Valley you go to a bar in this batter glass and it's really exciting you just don't really find them outside of the Loire so it's really exciting to actually try one here. And so um, the producer, Jermaine Trotterot, and um, the, the winemaker is Pierre Ragon. He took over this domain in 1973, which goes back to 1804. So that is an indication of how historically important uh, the region is. Some of the vines that he works with are over 100 years old. And so it's really kind of historic, really working with the land and really committed to really high quality.
0: Yes, and so he has those uh, old vines or vieille vin, as they say in France, and is often on the label. Um, but... This wine in particular comes from younger vines, um, but made in the same way as the Vie Vine uh, edition, uh, with indigenous yeast and aging in old oak and enamel vessels. Quite a pleasant wine. Very subtle, but uh, extremely good. And concentrated flavors, uh, still has that really bright aromatics, but at the same time, you know, not that really kind of in-your-face kind of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, but but you can tell it's that grassy really citrusy and um, really food friendly especially with fish
1: we don't drink sauvignon blanc that often so it's quite pleasant to uh, have this wine and you enjoyed it quite greatly and um, just a reminder that sauvignon blanc is a bit more Versatile and diverse than we perhaps expect. As you say, it's not always that pungent New Zealand style. This is a bit more subtle and very food friendly. And one fun fact to finish with Cansey was the second French appellation to be formally created after Chateauneuf de Pape. And so we obviously know that Chateauneuf de Pape is one of the most famous wine regions in the world. And here's Cansey just behind Chateauneuf de Pape. Go, Cansey!
0: Cheers to that!
1: So thank you for listening to Wind Up Weekly.
0: We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another Wind Up. Meanwhile, please rate, review us, share with your friends. Uh, We're always looking to broaden our reach and share the news in wine.
1: And here's to a port and tonic over the next few days because it is so hot here in California. Although I saw snow in Manchester today, we're always here to share all the weather news and what we should be drinking during that weather cheerio